0: So, uh, for you, Spencer, uh, you talked about your background um, earlier uh, in our episode here, and you talked about how Colin Kaepernick was such an inspiration for you and what he was doing on the field. And, uh, you know, we're now um, in uh, when people listen to us, uh, their week three of the NFL season will have completed, um, and, uh, you know, we'll be well on our way, uh, to football. And so I wanted to get your, and and if Mike has anything to add as well, your thoughts about the role that, you know, the NFL plays in shaping people's perception and, and, and and culturally the way they, um, spread militarism through our society to get your reactions. I think that's a critical part about building an anti-war movement is actually grappling with the way, the military has been able to colonize our sports, um, so to speak, um, and the fact that um, this, this does actually have an impact on activism, as we've seen, um, in the way that they are willing to take away jobs from players who are um, protesting uh, injustices in the U.S. And, uh, and, and use that, manipulate that in the way to seem as, as though it's anti-military.
1: Yeah, so I think um, uh, the key thing here is that uh, this whole National Anthem situation is, well, it's a recent phenomenon. Uh, Not until 2009 uh, did football players even appear on the field uh, during the National Anthem, Mm -hmm. but uh, the Department of Defense, you know, they poured millions of dollars into the NFL and, you know, Through that, uh, they were given, you know, these grand displays of patriotism, you know, this entire spectacle uh, that emerged. And I think, um, you know, I read that, uh, you know, the DOD, they gave the NFL $5.4 million um, between 2011 and 2014, and the National Guard gave $6.7 million between uh, 2013 and 2015. And so this is a rather recent Uh, phenomenon. And so uh, you talked about how the military colonizes um, sports even. Uh, And I I think this is a very clearing example uh, of that. And, you know, for me, uh, when I watch it, uh, it's quite unsettling because uh, I think it's no secret that, um, you know, Hollywood and, uh, and major motion pictures they more often than not have some type of military consultant if they're an action movie or something of the sort. Um, but to see these uh, just grand displays of uh, obscene patriotism uh, during uh, some of the most televised events in this country, I mean, what it, you, you could see what it's doing. It's it's priming people in a certain way, but especially young, impressionable minds, because uh, then you start to associate, you know, the most popular sport in America with uh, the Department of Defense was going to war and, if, and there's no doubt football itself uh, is an inherently um, violent game, uh, but for many people who come from marginalized and poor communities, uh, it's a way for them uh, to get out of that uh, miserable uh, economic existence, much like joining the military is, and so you know, I've pondered this a lot, and it's almost like they're they're joining uh, these, you know, these two organizations together—the the military and uh, the National Football League—in order to have this like uh, um, this dual front of recruiting uh, people mm-hmm. who are the most marginalized uh, into either the war machine or uh, finding a way uh, to associate with that war machine to get out, uh, of your existing situation. And the fact that something as simple as, um, Colin Kaepernick, uh, taking a knee led to such, uh, a blowback shows you how, uh, in many ways terrified, uh, those who, uh, operate at these higher positions of power are when people speak out. Um, and so, although, you know, Cap, you know, he lost it all on these, not going to be in the league for the foreseeable future, I think just showing how uh, individual acts of uh, rebellion, individual acts of resistance can lead to um, a larger mass movement uh, is very instructive for me. And that's you know, kind of my reading of uh, various uh, veterans over the years or military personnel uh, who have spoken out. And I think within that, uh, there's a lot of um, solidarity uh, to be built in a larger political project.
0: Well, do fets feel any certain way about the the, the ritualistic nature? I mean, you go to um, a baseball game, and during an inning, they. I have a, a, a guard trotted out to the third baseline yeah, to, um, yeah. uh, and everyone stands. Or they do the flyover with the the Boeing aircraft, yeah, or they
1: wear camouflage jerseys during um, the pregame. Is sure. that
0: um, do do you as I mean do you and any other people you you talk to do you do you see that and go oh my the brainwashed American population doesn't quite understand what's going on here.
2: I mean, I I think that a large number of people in the military like hate the military. You know, like that's so. I think that they also don't like seeing it at baseball games and stuff like that. You know, it's like there's this idea that the military is an all volunteer force, which is like kind of true. It's an all volunteer force. Like the day you sign up, but then like you're stuck. It's compulsory, and then you're there for four to eight years, um, and and you're stuck in it. And so like a lot the when I was in the military, like. Everyone kinda of thought it was really dumb and did not like it. You know, so no one was really like, oh yeah, sweet, we're gonna see some like jets fly over the stadium. Like I love jets, I love being in the military. Like I didn't know anyone like that. Uh, when I was, <laughs> so it's like everyone's it's like kind of it becomes like a joke, you know what I mean? So um yeah, it's like kind of laughter. I guess ass, it does like
3: that does seem kind of silly. It's like, yeah, I'm so I'm like, look at the jets. Like
2: <laughs> Yeah, and also it's like you don't feel like oh, I'm really being honored and like I feel like my service is being respected and recognized, and I, I it's like uh, you know, I feel like they're honoring me properly. Like, I don't think people feel that way either. It just shows that it's really, like Spencer was saying, it's geared towards recruitment more than anything else. Like, of course, it's like, you know, putting in the public consciousness, you got to love the military and everything the military does is good. And if you question anything the military does, you're like, you know, you're a ter- terrible person. But a lot of it is... Like targeting children to to join the military. And you know, there's a reason that it happened at the time that Spencer mentioned it did. Like two thousand and nine was when these these big contracts happened. Under Bush, there was a a crisis in military recruitment. Like when the Iraq war got bad, like no one would join the military. like the 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 recruiting numbers were like the lowest they had ever been. and they were like, really trying to re they even debated it re bringing back the draft during that because recruiting numbers were so low. And the only no, way I they remember, got around it. They was,
3: also, yeah. they also like were allowing um, immigrants to like have like a fast oh, yeah. track to
2: citizenship. Oh um, my God. They were like going they were, like, to okay. other countries to recruit yeah. people from like okay. Ghana and Central America. Yes. Yeah. Fucking um, crazy. Right. And the only way they got around it was by stop-lossing everyone, which is by like forcing people to stay in after their contract is done. And so, you know, it, like, no one wanted to join the military. And so, like, the election of Obama and the reason that the whole ruling class wanted Obama in and the reason that, you know, he got the Nobel Peace Prize and the reason that, you know, his first international speech, he went to Egypt, the largest Muslim country, and gave a speech about how we're not at war with Islam. Like, it was about repairing the damage that Bush had done to the to the American empire and the image of the military and the image of, of American imperialism and, and all of that. And so Obama was, like, the fix and So that this plan to invest in promoting the military through the, you know, uh, major league sports, you know, it's just part of that. It was part of the repairing the defeated face of the empire and, and this new era under Obama where everything was different.
0: I think those are important points to make. Now, there was another thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, which um, I know that, you know, as uh, through your podcast, you're going to be speaking to uh, veterans and as well as people who are active duty. And uh, one of the key concerns on on every vet is always, you know, the the, the way in which the, the Veterans Affairs Department functions. Um, and, you know, I was talking to Rania before uh, we started the show, and I said, you know, in my view, I think that that's something that's really difficult to get the left to um, pay attention to and, and show any interest. I think that um, you know, among people who follow and listen to this show, it's very easy to talk about uh, matters of war, talk about peace. But I think it's hard to get people um, interested in like why they should care about how the Veterans Affairs Department is functioning because most people, I mean, if you go to an extreme level, it would just be that, like we would abolish, the uh, military or, or we just wouldn't be involved in wars. So why should I care about how the Veterans Affairs Department is treating or mistreating uh, veterans um, on a daily basis? But, you know, it's been staggering to see in the last um, months that it appears there's like a shadow group of people running the VA out of Mar-a-Lago. Um, and I think that like what's going on there just far surpasses any horror story that has ever been revealed. Um, with the VA and, and research. So I don't know either of you have anything to address about, you know, what it's like in the era of, of Trump. But I imagine it's just become even more difficult to get the kind of assistance you were told you were going to get after you were done with the military.
1: Yeah, um, for, for me, the way I view it is that, um, you know, the VA healthcare system um, but to be in general, you know, it's one of the the closest things we have in this country uh, approaching um, socialized health care. Um, and so if you're interested in pursuing a larger project of, you know, Medicare for all or just, you know, socialized health care in general. Well, if uh, in probably one of the most hyper nationalistic, patri- you know, hyper patriotic countries in the world, if they're trying um, to destroy that availability to their veterans, um then you can rest assured that any political project that is trying to make that happen on a mass scale is going to be even more vehemently uh, opposed. Um, As a veteran and and as an activist, uh, what I try to articulate is that, you know, something like the VA should be available for everyone uh, in this country. And and by having it in place, that almost gives us a foothold or uh, a beachhead, if you will, in order to pursue uh, a larger project of um, socialized healthcare, And then when you have like these horror stories of like the, the VA shadow committee coming out, which Mike and I talked about um, and <laughs> a, f- a few episodes ago on our show, uh, I think it's also very instructive to see how uh, these institutions function uh in, in the society we live in uh, such as it is. And we need to be uh, armed and equipped with how to deal with that and, and how to fight back. And if it, again, if it's happening in the VA, then it's happening elsewhere. And we need to see uh, the VA, not just as this isolated uh, incident, but as part of a, a larger uh, totality um, in, in a field of struggle.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I love the VA. I'm really fortunate to have it. It's a really efficient and good system. Um, I haven't seen the changes. I've seen a little bit of the effects of what's been happening, because um, some of it took place under Obama. Um, and so, like, the outsourcing of everything was just going to really destroy it. So if it continues down that road, it's going to be totally screwed. It's actually going to cost uh, taxpayers more money for this plan, uh, and it's going to make the the care a lot worse. So it's really just a handout to the Mar-a-Lago guys, you know. So um, they're really just hooking their friends up with a ton of money, like we saw under the, the Bush administration with all his, um, you know, the weapons contracts and all that stuff. But I think people should care about it um, in, because it's like it's you should care about Struggles that other uh, people are going through, because you know all their struggles are connected, and it could—it's like that could be the thing that radicalizes a lot of people in the military. You know, like um, you know that's just one of many grievances that soldiers and veterans have—is like the the you know privatization of the VA. But there's a lot of different things, and we don't know what that can lead to, and we don't know what the issue is going to be that um you know that inspires large numbers of people to become politically active. Um, you know, like uh, there is times where the the care at the VA led to like real big um, movements inside the military, especially during Vietnam, right, where, like, people were coming home wounded and just getting, like, the worst kind of care. Um, Ron Kovic writes about it in his book, Born on the Fourth of July. It really helped expose it. But, like, it was a point of political struggle, um, and it radicalized a lot of people in the military. And there, there's so many of, of those different types of things that we might think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Like, I never have to deal with this, and I don't care what happens to, like, these people. Um, but it really, like, it's, like, kernels of what could become a really important movement. And it's hard to, like, imagine and, like, going back to what you said like at the beginning of the episode rania is like how hard is it to actually radicalize and organize uh, soldiers in the military now when we're at this like quasi peacetime? time there's not a lot of major conflict deployments are like all special operations and things like that but um you know the military is really just a cross section of us society and so all of the the changes in political consciousness that we're seeing in general society, right? Like the acceptance of socialism, the Bernie Sanders phenomenon, uh, the rejection of Trump in a mass way, like all that's happening in the military and also like, in people's minds. And, you know, there's different things that could lead to, you know, to larger elevations of consciousness. And, you know, I like to remind people that like, it seems inconceivable, but in the Vietnam War, when the Vietnam War started, the, the military was considered to be at its like peak morale, peak fighting fitness, it was like the best military and the most like morale that the US military had ever had in its entire history. And within a few years, uh, top commanders of the military at the time during the Vietnam War said that half of the enlisted ranks were in like open rebellion against the military, half of the armed forces. I mean, that's a really incredible Mm -hmm. level of resistance. And so anyone who wants to see profound change happen in the United States, you've got to be pretty excited by the prospect of like half the military turning against the government. So, you know, just if for yeah. those reasons alone, it's like, all right, maybe we should support uh, struggles that, that they're going through because um, we want to bring them in. You know, we want to abandon them to right wing forces too. It's like we, right. if because like, you know, like the, even the struggle around the VA, like the, I think the VFW is doing a campaign and Veterans for Peace is also doing a campaign. You know what I mean? Like there's more patriotic, forces that are struggling against the privatization of the VA that is going to appeal to veterans in and, and that way. But there's also Veterans for Peace, which is out there opposing it. And it's like providing like a left like influence on, on veterans who may not be politically conscious yet, but care about what's happening to the VA. And so we want to be pulling people in, into our orbit, right? And like pulling, making people, uh, you know, become more radical and become socialist and all of that. So, you know, the privatization of the VA is just one of those things that we can uh, show solidarity for that to help make that happen.
3: Oh, well said. Um, I, we wanted to ask you, um, since we have you, Mike, about what happened with Empire Files recently. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us back to Venezuela and the US attack on Venezuela. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just never done with that. But yeah, can you tell like our listeners what happened with Empire Files and your funding and why?
2: Yeah, just just to say it really quickly. I mean, we um, Empire Files is a show on Telesaur, and so all our funding comes from the Telesur network. And you know, it's all it's trans, It comes from Caracas, and so the this level of U.S. sanctions is so severe that it's impossible to wire funds from Venezuela to the United States, even if it goes through intermediary countries and all this stuff. So basically, it was it was we were always dealing with it for the past few years, and you know, it would be take a long time to get payments and things like that. But then, with the newest sanctions that Trump passed uh, to punish Venezuela for electing Maduro. Um, <laughs> that was when he introduced the newest sanctions. It's just become impossible for them to uh, get us any of the funding. Um, so we had just signed a third season contract with them to do another um, another season with Telusor, but you know, there's there's no way to get paid, and it's affecting Telusor journalists all over the globe, actually, not just in the United States. Um, and so, but we actually just we we launched a fundraiser for it, and we raised uh, definitely enough money to keep it going for um, you know. Uh, hopefully a year or so. So we're, so we're going to be just doing it independently and with the, the massive amount of really great support that we've received. So MProfiles profiles is going to continue, but um, you know, it's, it's just going to be, uh, you know, done independently versus with the Telstra network for the time being. I mean, they could, they could come back and, and we could be be with them again, but uh, yeah, so we're just, just doing it on our own now, keeping it going. And but I imagine was,
3: that all, I imagine that all the resistance people, um, like, we were very supportive. Instead, right. Obviously, it's like, like a Trump's attack on your... Basically, it was like Trump's attack on, a, on an outlet, in a way, right. like, no, on a media it. outlet. Right. Um, so I imagine the media world, which is very mm-hmm. sensitive to Trump's attacks on the media, was very... Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't need any
2: support from them.
0: I, I imagine uh, Rachel Maddow sent you um, a lot of yeah. invitations to come on her program and and talk
3: and talk about it.
2: Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I mean, interestingly, it's, like, it's not, Telstra is not just attacked because it's, like, the, the state media of uh, Venezuela, not just Venezuela, but, but many other progressive Latin American countries. But it's even, like, attacked violently, you know? So, like, this is, it's not so bad to just, like, not be able to get funding. Where, like, in Venezuela, like, you can be killed if people know you're a Telstra journalist. And actually, when we were there, we couldn't let anyone find out we were a journalists because because they, they would have killed us when we were out with the protesters. But right after we left, one of our colleagues who... Uh, works in Venezuela she got shot in the back like her team got like ambushed and they tried to wow. kill them and like you know one of the coup attempts that was uncovered and one of the, the coup plots that was uncovered in 2015 I think like part of the coup was to bomb the Telesur building like to holy shit queue. so it's like you know it's, seen, it's not just seen as like oh yeah they're like the owl we got it rid of them it's like they're seen as like much more of an enemy where they like want to kill them so <laughs> that's why Jesus. it's important to have show solidarity with Venezuela and Telesur because they're under under much more attack than people think
3: Well, it's okay. I'm sure CNN will eventually get to covering that story, like the next (laughs) time they're in Venezuela. Well,
1: (laughs) the biggest news coming out of Venezuela, of course, is um, Salt Bay serving a steak. (laughs) Oh, God.
3: I mean, can you guys believe Maduro ate food?
0: That's terrible. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's
2: ridiculous.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Like, he ate—he actually, like, he, like, ate food. He, like, took a bite (laughs)
2: of—like,
3: he put food in his mouth. It's crazy. I mean— I mean, what kind of psychotic, evil dictator, like, eats? It's, I just, I don't, I don't truly know, do Truly a national I don't know. Nightmare. I don't know.
2: <laughs> and here in the United don't... States, where, you know, half the country's in poverty, yet we have, like, you know, the richest billionaires on the planet who, like, don't do a day of work. I mean, it's amazing it. because, like...
3: Yeah, but Jeff Bezos, to be fair, <laughs> is going to open a preschool or something. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I just love how, you know... A guy eating steak is controversial. When we, you know, in the United States have a president who eats, like, McDonald's, like, seven times a day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we're getting... We dissect how he's eating his pizza with a fork and... and <laughs> a total I disconnect.
3: Know, like in, the US, in the U.S., we just have, like, the most grotesque, like... I mean, we have like these reality TV shows of like multimillionaires just like mm-hmm. talking, you know, like the like Kardashians are just like, oh my God, Corny and Kim <laughs> like didn't show up to my birthday party. And like <laughs> and like it's like you have TV shows with like millionaires on them and once a billionaire reality TV show host just like flaunting their wealth. And then you have <laughs> children going hungry and like no one thinks that's a big scandal but like maduro ate a steak i mean it's so i just and the way people fall for it too it's just yeah. I, people are so stupid i mean okay here I, you guys are activists like like i just like talk shit you know and i do <laughs> some important. journalism you no know, like i don't know i really think i'm so cynical that like it's really good to talk to people who are actually like still in activist circles because sometimes you know being outside of them it's like it's like you forget there are smart people doing really cool things because you just see like, you just see what's happening on Twitter and, and what's is, happening on like, and it, it makes you really cynical. This is, so this is true. Always...
0: Sometimes we've cut off our show. Cause Ron, you can't take it anymore. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs>
3: Kevin, just, just, just stop it. Just stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all
0: right. Well, it's been great to have both of you on as guests. And uh, we thank you for giving us so much time. Uh, anything you'd like to say? Where, where can people go to to find your stuff and support both of you?
2: Well, um, you can on social media on Twitter. It's uh, Eyes Left Pod. Uh, you can follow us there, but you can go to, we're on all streaming platforms. So just search Eyes Left and any of your, your preferred streaming platform from Spotify to iTunes. Uh, we're on SoundCloud. We have a SoundCloud too, which is what we uh, usually promote. Um, it's just SoundCloud.com slash Eyes Left. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're doing a, a few episodes a month. I think we're on episode five now. Um, yeah, and I, it's, it's interesting, not just for people who are in the military. If you're have no, don't aren't in the military or don't know anyone in the military, I think you can still get a lot out of it because it's, uh, an, you know, important to hear the perspective, uh, from the inside of the war machine. And, um, yeah, there's all types of ways that you can help, um, spread the message. Also, if you know anyone in the military, uh, or anyone who's a veteran, you know, sharing it with them might help, uh, you know, kindle something that turns into something bitter, bigger, which is the, you know, really the whole point of the project.
3: Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. It's always, like, Mike, it's always a pleasure having you on, Spencer. It's thank great to you. have gotten to know you. Yeah, um, yeah. It's
1: been wonderful. And uh,
3: best of luck, and, um, and hopefully we can have you guys on at some point in the future, and I won't be as cynical. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds great.